You are listening to audio from The Creek Church. If you would like more information about The Creek, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. one of my favorite weekends of, of just about anything we do, just because we as a family get to celebrate life change and, and hear the story of what God's done in somebody's life. And, and uh, Roberta's right, there's nothing sacred about that water. You might be more dirty when you come out of that than when you get in. I'm just saying, you know, uh, I love it. And uh, last night we had uh, one of our small group leaders baptize one of the girls in her small group. And um, so, teenager, and, and there you are. I'm so proud of you. I'm so excited. And uh, I love when, when you get to baptize people. Um, I love when you have a hand in helping them come to a relationship with Jesus, and then you get to be the one that, that dunks them in. And, and, and it's, it's, it's an awesome feeling. It's an awesome thing that we get to be a part of. One of the things that you saw coming in is that, that wall with the envelopes on it, and that's our fundraiser for camp this year. Uh, for elementary and youth camp. And so uh, that's a fundraiser to help them get to camp. So we figured instead of bugging people with wrapping paper and all kinds of just crazy things like that, um, we put those envelopes very successful last year. Um, it reduced the cost of camp by half last year. Let me tell you this. This is a pretty cool thing. It was blessing our socks off. We had a family donate the cost of the bus to get the youth to Colorado this year. Um, so that significantly, yeah. Um, so if you want to uh, if you want to want to help our elementary kids um, get to Waxahachie and you want to donate for that or grab one of those envelopes off the wall, here's what happens. I, I, I did youth ministry, so I know what happens at camp. Um, the leaders get no sleep, but man, the kids are in an environment where where just the gospel is is just taught, and there's there's just something about getting away from all the noise of life to be able to be poured into. And so it's an awesome time. And, and every year as a youth pastor, I had several kids get saved. And uh, our camp's here the same way. I met a girl last night that was in my youth group. She said, I found out I got invited to this church called the Creek Church. She said, I came and you weren't here. And I was like, oh, okay. I thought it was a good church. And then she said, I came back and it was you. And you, I was her youth pastor. She goes, I knew this is where God was calling me. And so I know that things happen at camp that create a lifelong foundation for, for growing in Christ and even salvation. So you can help out, uh, help kids get to camp. Also, um, if you're in education, I'm going to say this because we have a lot of educators in our church and administrators and things like that. Next Saturday, we're having an educator connection lunch, and we want to get you connected with other educators and administrators in our church because you're called to ministry and do that together. And so we want to help connect all of you guys. And so if nothing else, come for a free lunch, Okay. Um, I'm going to talk about that in the message. There's no such thing as a free lunch. But um, anyway, uh, we want to get you connected with other teachers and administrators and educators. I just caught myself in that contradiction. I was like, man, okay, I shouldn't, I shouldn't ought to have said that. Um, but last Sunday night, we got to set some vision as a church, and, and this uh, really becomes our focus. This becomes what we uh, are desiring to see as a church. And I, I rolled it out uh, over phases to our, our elders, our leadership, and then last week uh, to our church. And I'm going to share that with you this morning in case you missed it. But here at the creek, here's what we want to see. We believe that when we're winning at the mission God gave us, and that mission is to glorify God through life changed by the message of the gospel. When we're winning at that, here's what we'll see. We will see people set in a relationship with God. We're going to see people get saved. 
We're gonna see people set in family. So you're gonna realize you don't have to go through life alone and do this thing alone. We're called to, we're called to this battle together. And then we're gonna see people set free. Sadly, there's a lot of people who are saved. They're Christ followers, but they're just bound up. They're not, they're not walking in the freedom that Jesus has paid for. Jesus said, I've given you freedom uh, for freedom. It's for freedom that I came. And so he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So we've got to walk in this, and we need to help with that. We're going to see people walking in freedom from addiction and bondage and, and just all the, uh, change words here, fixing vocabulary for just a second, the stuff that gets on us that keeps us from walking in freedom. And then set in motion. I believe that we're all called for mission. I believe we're all called to be out and, and, and doing the work of the gospel. And so that's what we're going to see. And so we got the gospel, we've got the vision, it's clear, we're going to run with it, and we're going to see lives changed. Um, I, I got involved with a story yesterday um, that was just incredible. Uh, we had a family show up at our house to pick up some furniture. They were furnishing an apartment for, for a mother in our church, and I got to speak with her after the first service, and she was just grateful that she has found a family that's helping her walk in a new life. Uh, and so we helped get, you helped get her apartment furnished. And as they were picking up some furniture and we were talking about just this incredible story where Jesus is involved, um, we start realizing dominoes that have fallen, that she got the courage to step out of a, of a, a desperate situation because she was ministered to by a girl that showed up at our church that said, I don't know what to do. I was just told to come to church here. We walked with that girl. She got saved. She got set free from addiction. She, we helped her get in a, established in, a, in her place and a life, and she got the courage to do that because there was another woman at the creek that had been through a lot of stuff and, and, and said, shared her story with me, and I said, your story is gonna help somebody else, and that intersected there, and so she ministered to her to give her, and you see it down the line. This girl that ministered to this girl was ministered to by a testimony video that we saw last year in the church. That man who gave his testimony in the church was ministered to by somebody that, that just noticed him and said, do you know Jesus? So it's amazing how a story gets written out of obedience. It's amazing how that story has twists and turns, and it's just beautiful to be a part of. I love it. And stories really help articulate vision. They really help articulate truth. And Jesus would use stories. He would use parables. This new series we're starting is called Storyline. We're going to look. It's taking us back to the book of Luke. But we're going to look at these parables or stories that Jesus tells to teach us truth. Today, we're going to be in Luke 10. If you've got your Bible, meet me there. If you don't have a Bible um, or don't own a Bible, we keep some on those back cabinets, and we want you to have that as a, a free gift. We want you to have access to the Word of God so you then can study truth and get involved with truth and let, let truth begin to change you and shape you. Let the gospel become clear. So Luke chapter 10, this is a story of a good Samaritan and since this story, um, the, 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 the name Samaritan, the, the title Samaritan, has really become something synonymous with love, compassion, and mercy. And um, wasn't always the case with the Jews and the Samaritans. But we have a lot of 
instances where, you know, you'll hear on the news, a good Samaritan stopped to help somebody. Many hospitals are named uh, Samaritans. There's ministry with Samaritan in the name. And Jesus really teaches us some incredible truth in this story. We're going to break it down and uh, real, see how this, real, honestly, I was, see how this messes with our life. Because Jesus wants to transform us, right? He just doesn't want us to go on in the same old mundane religiosity that, that doesn't do anything for us. He wants to jack with us a little bit. He wants to change our views. And so uh, he gets approached. Verse 25 says, behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. So this lawyer would have been a, a Pharisee, a scribe, someone who was well-versed in the law. He would understand. He would argue the law. He would articulate the law. He could have very intellectual conversations about the law. This would be the law of Moses, the, the God's law that he gave to Mosaic. <laughs> God's law that he gave to Moses called the Mosaic Law. And he was well-versed in it. It says, a teacher, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test. said, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, there, there's already a thing getting set up here. Because the, this lawyer comes, he knows the law, he understands the law, he's been able to articulate the law back to Jesus. What he's given him is what Jesus says later is the greatest commandment. And so he's able to articulate this back, but, but he starts off on an interesting note with Jesus. He says, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What's the requirement that I've got to do so that I get eternal life? I want the inheritance, so what do I do to get the inheritance? And what, what we've got to understand is he started off even in the wrong trajectory because an inheritance, this eternal life, it's a gift that's given through relationship. That, that an inheritance is strictly due to relationship. There's been something built for that inheritance to be given. Um, I'll confess this. I've got a, a playlist with some country music on it. I love country. I love all kinds of music, but that's the confession I've got. There's a song that I like about a man who, who meets another guy at the bar. They end up having this long conversation, one night conversation. They talk about all things in life. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. And at the end of the song, he sees this man's face on the newspaper. He was a millionaire. And he left his fortune to this man he let, met in the bar. And his kids were pretty upset. It was still a relationship. He built the time, took the time to have a relationship with him. There are people that I read about that died. I was like, they were a millionaire. I got nothing of that. Because I don't have a relationship with them. This man started off on the wrong foot with Jesus going, what do I do to get an inheritance? And Jesus, here's the thing, Jesus knows the heart. He's gonna, he perceives the heart. He's like, Could this guy, this guy's just wanting to know the law and the letter of the law. And what's incredible is he answers the law back and Jesus says, you've answered correctly. The answer you gave is correct. Do that and you'll live, which I think is a little bit uh, funny on Jesus's part because the law will never save us. None of us can live up to the law. I cannot, I don't have all the power within me to love God with everything I've got all the time. 
Myself creeps in there a lot. I get in my own way a lot of times in my life. I don't have the, the ability or the capacity. And what Jesus is doing is he's directing us into this truth that we need grace. We need a savior to bring us into a relationship to then fulfill that law of God in our life so that we can then be sons and daughters of God. And oh yeah, by the way, the inheritance, part of that is eternal life. And so Jesus is already setting this man up for a lesson. And then the man's trying to justify himself before Jesus. None of us will ever be able to stand before God and justify ourselves. Because we just said that none of us can follow God's law perfectly. That would be the only, to me, that's the only possible excuse I could have before God to justify myself. But the reality is when I stand before God, I don't have to justify myself. That justification comes by Jesus. That I'm in a relationship with Christ. I've submitted my life to him. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. He's my leader. And so he is the one that I pursue wholeheartedly in my life. And I don't have to give a justification before God because Jesus has already done it. When we talk about this lawyer, Jesus has already stood and argued my case and pled my case before God the Father. And so I've covered him with my blood. He's mine. God says, case closed. He's a son. He's an heir. An heir gets the inheritance. And this man's trying to justify himself before God. We've got to get out of that trap. Who's my neighbor? The trap in that was he thought he had Jesus because in the Jewish culture, Jews would only consider Jews their neighbor, not Gentiles, not those outside of their race, outside of their religion. I don't have to engage with people outside of my people group because they're not my neighbor. Isn't it really stupid how we think about that? And that still exists today. I don't have to help them because they're not like me. This division carries over, and ultimately what it does is creates just insanity in our, in our culture, and Jesus is gonna speak directly to that. Because he said, who's my neighbor? He thinks he's got him. So Jesus launches into a, this story. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So Jesus is painting a picture for this man. Instead of arguing law with you, I'm going to paint a picture through this story, through this parable. I'm going to teach you something instead of an argument. Because here's the thing. Jesus could shut the argument down like that. I mean, he's God. He's the creator and sustainer of all life. But we're not called. You and I are not called to win arguments. We may get into a discussion and win an argument because we've got enough knowledge of the word of God in here, but we will lose a relationship. You and I aren't called to argue about the kingdom. You and I are called to love and lead people to Jesus. Win people, not arguments. Make that your motto. And Jesus is, is setting this picture up. He's like, there's a man going down this road. And it's interesting that he uses two religious people because we're coming from the law. Remember, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbors yourself. So there, there's a, a command in the law here. 
And what, this, what Jesus is doing is connecting some dots here that, that our love for God is revealed by how we love others. I mean, he uses two religious men coming down the road. The priest, a well-respected man in, in Jewish culture, a symbol of hope. A Levite was also a well-respected man in Jewish culture, worked in the service of the temple. He was from the tribe of Levi. They were in the service, uh, temple service. Both of these people, you would think, understand the law of God. I mean, this lawyer can speak it back. So men who work in the, in, the, in the presence of God and work in the temple should know the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbors yourself. Here they come walking down the road and they go around them. And, and here's where a lot of people get tripped up. People will go, well, they might've been afraid that, that if they touched him because he's bleeding, that he would be ceremonially unclean. Or they might be concerned that the attackers were just waiting in ambush. Let me, let me help you with something. Scripture doesn't tell us why they crossed the other side of the road. We end up trying to walk in the unknown so many times in our life when we're working with the word of God. Let's walk in what's known. Let's be obedient with what we know. Here's what we know. We have men that know the law of God and cross to the other side. The point of that is two men who should have been the neighbor were not the neighbor. I mean, put yourself in the position of the one that got beaten. This road's 18 miles long. The road from Jericho to Jerusalem would be about 18 miles. Might be wide enough for a cart. It's not a road in the terms we think of a road. This road was also famous for, for having attackers along the road and staging ambushes to be able to rob people, steal from people, kill people. Um, clothes were very valuable. They were trying to get everything they could. And so um, there's a reputation on this road. But put yourself in the person that's been stripped and beaten and left for half dead. And you're laying there and everything in your life is kind of flashing before your eyes. And you start to wonder, is this, is this where my life ends? Is this where it all ends? And all of a sudden you hear footsteps. Maybe you took such a severe beating that you hear those footsteps and you wonder if they're coming back for more. You realize you got nothing else other than the final breaths that you have. You hear the footsteps getting closer. Then you hear the footsteps get a little faint as they go the other side of the road. And then you can open your eyes as you see him pass on by. And you realize that was a priest who just passed me. That was the symbol of hope that just walked by me. That symbol of hope, if they neglected me, that must mean I'm hopeless. Your footsteps again. Person walks by and you're like, they, they work in the temple and they didn't stop. Jesus is very clearly making his point that the people that we think would help didn't help. And then he rocks the world here because he says, going on in verse 34 or 33, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii, that's two days' wages, and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So Jesus really gets 
uh, kind of, I would say, probably gets under the skin of this lawyer a little bit. Because the people you expected to help didn't help, but a Samaritan had compassion. There was a deep division between the Jews and the Samaritans. Goes all the way back to 722 BC. In 722 BC, the Assyrians invaded Israel, conquered Israel, took most of Israel into captivity. If you read the, the Bible, a lot of people go, I don't understand the Old Testament. There's so many things about the Old Testament. Let me give you the Old Testament in a nutshell. It's a series of bad relationships. What happened in 722 BC is something that always happens. So God sets up the nation of Israel, says, you're my chosen people. I didn't choose you because you were the biggest people group. I didn't choose you because you were good. I chose you because I'm good and I'm God. And he establishes this blessing that's gonna come through his people. And all of a sudden the people are like, we're following you, God. We're locked in, man. Here we go. And then they get good and they just turn away from God. And when they turn away from God, they end up in sin and then get conquered, end up in captivity. There's time that goes by, they repent, and then God gets them out of captivity. And they're like, okay, I'm good. God, thank you. And this cycle goes on and on and on and on and on. But when the the Jews were in captivity by the Assyrians, They begin to worship other gods. They begin to marry Assyrians and Jews, and their children are where we get Samaritans. And so the Jews hated the Samaritans all because of bloodline. How ridiculous. And Jesus is saying, look, look, I'm here to break this division. You want an answer to the question, who's my neighbor? I'm here to give it to you. Because if you're gonna love God, you're gonna love other people. He he looks at the lawyer and says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor? And the lawyer said, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. You go and show compassion, love and mercy without prejudice. Because every one of us are called to share love, mercy, compassion to those around us. And so when we get, when we get into this, we've, we've got to understand the question that, that the lawyer asked Jesus is, who is my neighbor? Because he's seeking to justify himself. I think for us, the question, let, let's learn from this experience the question isn't, who's my neighbor? The question really is, who, who can I be a neighbor to? Because there's people all around you that need to see the mercy and compassion and grace and love of God. There's people, there's people around you that need rescue. And love leads us into this, this mission of rescue. Love leads us into getting involved in people's lives. Isn't it amazing what love will make you do? I mean, I'm, I'll, I'll tell you, I'm in love. I'm madly in love with my wife. And it makes me do things I wouldn't think I would have ever done. Love will make me hold a purse in the lobby of a crowd, crowded lobby of people. Because mm-hmm. I'm man enough to know I can hold my wife's purse. I know it's not my color. <laughs> love will lead me to unload a dishwasher. And every wife said, praise the Lord. Man, love, just, love will lead me to do some crazy, stupid things, won't it? Because I'm in love. 
And if we're gonna love God with everything we got, every ounce of our guts, it means we're gonna love people. And when we operate in that kind of love, love lets us look beyond the risk. I mean, the risk for, for the, the priest and the Levite could have been maybe ceremonial unclean or the attackers are waiting in ambush. But this man, Jesus says, the Samaritan stopped and helped him. He took the risk. Helping others is always gonna be risky because it's messy. You and I are people and people are a mess. Whether we create it ourselves or somebody else creates it for us. And that can be risky to get in because we know that there can be rejection. We know that when we try to offer help to somebody, they may not respond welcoming that help. They may respond like a wounded dog caught in a trap and snap at you. It's risky. It's vulnerable. It means we gotta get out of our comfort zone because our human nature isn't to get involved with other people's mess in order to help them. Our tendency is to look at it like Jerry Springer and go, that's a train wreck. Let's keep watching. <laughs> love look, this is probably the biggest one. Love looks beyond the blame. It's easy for us to sit in a perch of comfort and assume blame and how wrong we can be. It's easy for us to sit and look at the desperation of someone who's, who's half dead on the side of the road, that life has just beat this stuff out of them. Say, well, she's in that spot because she married a jerk. Or he's dealing with that because he's he just lazy. He won't work. He won't do anything. Their kids are like that because, I mean, look at how they parent. It's easy for us to assign blame. But let me tell you what love does. Love says, I'm less interested in how you got here and more interested in helping you get out of here. That's the beauty of what happens in the body of Christ. That's the beauty of what happens in family. Let's not sit here and dissect this and understand all the, all the psychological reasons and all of your decisions. Let's not make you rehash all of your decisions that led you to this moment of brokenness. Let's get around you and help you walk out of this. You got family that's gonna help you. You don't have to walk this alone. And we've gotta stop getting into this blame game. Because when we do that, we start playing into it as victims and victim mentality. And you're not called to be a victim. You're called to follow Christ into freedom and be a victor. Love says, I don't care how you got here. We're getting out. And then love looks beyond the cost. Because helping others, <laughs> it's always gonna cost us. Always. There ain't no such thing as a free lunch. <laughs> this Samaritan... He poured his wine and his oil on his wounds. He picked him up and placed him on his animal. Lost time in his trip. Had to deal with the energy of taking care of somebody who's broken. He lost two days wages. He willingly gave it. See, in our society, to show mercy and compassion, it's always gonna cost us something. Can I tell you something? It is always worth the cost. 
to be able to step back and realize God used me to impact the life of someone else so that someone else could see a, a relationship with Jesus, so that someone else could be set free. You may be on the side of the road. Your faith may be hanging on by a thread today. You may have just barely made it in here. But can I tell you that God sees you and he's not going to pass you by? Because this love that God wants us to operate in, he modeled it. This love that we're looked at with, Jesus looked beyond the risk. He knew that there would be people that reject him. He knew that he was gonna take a beating. He knew there was gonna be suffering and shame. He knew there was gonna be a crown of thorns. He knew there were gonna be nails piercing his body. He knew about the sword and the spear. He knew about all the shame. And he said, it's worth it. Jesus looked beyond the blame. Here's the reality. Whether we find ourselves where we're at in life, because of what we've done to ourselves or someone else has done to us, the reality is we're here. And you and I alone are responsible for our sin. And Jesus looks beyond that and said, I'm not here to beat you up with how you got here. I'm here to get you out. Jesus looked beyond the cost. He knew it was gonna cost him his blood. He knew it was gonna cost him everything. And he willingly gave his life on a cross for us. He paid for my sin in full because he loves me, because he's rescued me. You may be here this morning, you need rescue. Or you may just need a heart transformation that lets you see others with love and compassion. This is where we get the golden rule out of Matthew 7, 12. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Let's put this in context of this story. Minister unto others as you would like to be ministered to. Serve others as you want to be served. Love others the way you want to be loved. Because you need to hear this truth this morning. You are loved by the creator and sustainer of the universe and all life. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. I'm gonna give you a simple invitation. I'm gonna just ask you simply this question. If you're here this morning, you say, Matt, that's me, I need rescue. I'm barely hanging on and I need rescue. I need a change of heart. I need, I need a change of everything in my life. I want you to raise your hand right now where you're at. I want you to just put it up. We've had people in every service raise their hand to say, I need some rescue this morning. And I'm gonna pray for you. If you raised your hand, I want you to pray this in your space, in the quietness of your moment. I just want you to say, Jesus, I need you to rescue me. I need you to pick me up. I need some freedom from the areas of my life that are keeping me on the side of the road. I'm asking you, Jesus, to save me. Forgive me. Thank you for the grace to walk out of this situation. Thank you for loving me right where I am. 
and I believe with the faith that you give me that you save me by your grace and you give me new life. I trust you with that, Jesus. I commit to follow you all the days of my life as my Savior, my Lord, and my leader. I want you to know something. If you prayed that for the first time in your life, you have a family around you, you're not alone, and his grace is big. He's just justified you. You've been saved and you've been set free. And by the way, you've got an inheritance waiting called eternal life. Father, I thank you for your grace and your love and your mercy, your hope, your forgiveness, your reconciliation. I thank you for your strength for us to walk this life. I thank you that you alone rescue us. I thank you that you've called us to be rescuers. May we be people that are marked with lives of love and compassion for your great name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Creek Church. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast, or if you have any questions, you can email us at info at thecreekfw.com.